Well, good morning, church family. It is great to be with you here this morning, and whether you're joining us online or from the West Campus or at the Newburgh Campus, welcome. It's good to be here with you. Well, my wife, Linda, and I have called Crossroads our church home for many years, and I have the distinct honor of also being here today as a Timothy of this amazing church. And if you've never heard that term before, it refers to the relationship between the Apostle Paul and his younger spiritual protege, Timothy. In this case, I was the Timothy, and the elders and leaders and shepherds of this church were my Apostle Paul. My spiritual roots grew here, I was mentored here, I was ordained here, and I had the honor to serve here on staff from 2001 through 2012. And I actually had the blessing to be here serving on staff when Pastor Phil Heller was here the first time. It was a joy, and of course, I was thrilled when I learned that he had accepted the call of this church to return and to lead us as well. Um, We are safe in the flock of a true shepherd with him. But like Phil, and like you as a follower of Jesus, I too have been sent out from this church to let my light shine. And now I serve with an organization called Community One, a Christian nonprofit organization here in Evansville. And if you've heard of us, or if you know anything about Community One, you probably think of us as a housing organization or as a neighborhood organization, and our work certainly does revolve around those things. But the inspiration for our work, the real heart of our work, is loving our neighbors and helping others love their neighbors too. Our mission is to seek the transformation of our city and the flourishing of its people by empowering neighbors to love their neighbors. And for us, housing and neighborhoods are perfect vehicles for delivering love and for mobilizing and engaging the faith community and loving their neighbors. Well, Community One was conceived here and launched from this church to provide a platform of training and tools and opportunities to unite people of faith in loving their neighbors. What an unselfish gift our church has given to the faith community and to our city. And I am grateful to our church and for the support and the involvement of many of you and so many of our church family members in our work over the years. Thank you. Well, over the past few weeks, in their study of the book of John, the unfolding events are accelerating. Things are happening quickly. Important things are being said and experienced. So let's start with a quick review of where we're picking up today. It's Thursday evening in Jerusalem, and they've gathered for the Passover meal or the Last Supper. Less than a week ago, Jesus entered the city to the shouts and praises of the people, Hosanna. It was a hero's welcome. But just days later, things are turning. And we join the scene as he spends his final evening with his friends who are completely unaware of what's about to transpire next. So here, in this quiet upstairs room after dinner, he's chosen this moment to share his final lessons. Lessons about kings who serve and a new kind of love. Lessons about abiding in him and the hate they would experience because of him. Lessons about the Holy Spirit and more. And these are conversations that would set the stage for the light bulb moments that would happen in the minds of his followers for years to come. And a very short time period passes over the next, over the course of the next 
four chapters in our study of the book of John, between now and when Jesus is arrested. But he packs that time with tenderness and encouragement for his dear friends, explanations of things to come, mixed with harsh truths that are difficult for them to hear. But all of it is incredibly rich instruction for those of us who still desire to live and love like Jesus thousands of years later. So, let's listen in to the first part of this teaching. Read along with me, John 13, starting in verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Well, this is just a short segment in Scripture. But these verses are full of great teaching, and there are at least three main ideas that we could go into great depth in. And all of this is very meaningful, of course, but for today, we're going to kind of treat this like a scripture sandwich. We're going to enjoy every bite, but our focus is going to be on the meat in the middle. So let's dive in, starting in John 13, verse 31. When he, referring to Judas, when he was gone, Jesus said, now. Jesus begins with now. Now the time has come. Remember from last week, Jesus had just sent Judas out of the room on his way to betray him. Be quick about it, Jesus told him. So the plan was now in motion and the clock was ticking. In less than 12 hours, Jesus would be nailed to a cross to die. And things are gonna move rapidly in the hours ahead, but keep in mind, while there is a sense of urgency here, Jesus is in command of the timetable. He returned to the city full of powerful people who hated him. He sent Judas out of the room to put into motion what was next. And only he can bring closure to this chapter of the story, which he willingly does. Remember in John chapter 10, verse 18, referring to his own life, Jesus said this, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus is in charge. The the passage continues, John 13, 31, 32. He says, when he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. That's a a lot of glories. What's happening here is Jesus is just painting the larger picture for his friends of what's happening now in the heavenly realms. The Son of Man glorified is the fulfillment of his mission, the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep, the atoning sacrifice for those he loves. God glorified in him 
is the father being honored through the obedient sacrifice of the son who takes the punishment upon himself, which satisfies God's right requirement for justice regarding the sins of mankind. In turn, the father glorifies the son by accepting this sacrifice, by raising him from the dead, by welcoming him into heaven and giving him all authority in heaven and on earth. And as they will see, all this will come to pass very quickly. That which has been waiting in heaven for centuries, for all time, is happening now. He continues in verse 33, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. He loved these men, his companions. He tenderly addresses them as children, preparing them for unwelcome news. And he repeats again what he has already said and will say again, I'm leaving soon and you won't be able to come with me. I need you to understand this, he says, because what I'm going to say next is really important, and I won't be with you here physically. I won't be here to tell you. I won't be here to show you. I won't be here to send you out, to try things out for yourselves, and to receive you back, and to celebrate all the things that God is doing through you. I, I won't be here to do that like I have in the past. So I need you to understand something something so important that I've saved it for right now. And here it is. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Friends, this is the true heart of the teaching. And this is where we need to dig in. Please don't miss this. First, Jesus says that this is a new command. And what does he mean by that? I mean, loving others is not a foreign concept in Scripture at all. But no, it's not the love part that's unique. It's the way he says to love that's different from anything we've heard before. First, he says, love one another. And unlike the great commandment, love God and love others as yourself, which has been rooted in the Jewish faith and religious law since being given by Moses, and it was affirmed by Jesus as a way to demonstrate God's love. In this case, this is not the one-way love that he's talking about in this new command. It's new love. It's one another love. This is reciprocal love that he is commanding. Love each other. Give love and receive love. And he continues, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is the how to love, like he loved, which is also new. Don't just love others as yourself. Love as I have loved you. Do what I have done. Follow my example. Well, how did he love? Well, this is going to be, become very clear to the disciples shortly. He loved them by giving his life for them. And he would ask nothing less of them, more of us. And Jesus pulls back the curtain on this a little further when he repeats this again in John 15 and starting in verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And John writes again about this new love in 1 John 3:16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us 
and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. My friends, I I can't soften this. It's what it says. It's what Jesus did. And it's what he's calling us to do also. He set the bar very high. And I'm not saying it will never happen, but it's not nearly as likely that you or I will be called to die physically for our faith as it was for them. But let's be absolutely clear. We are called by Jesus to die to our selfishness, to our inner selves, and to die to the world and what they think of us in every other way. The only label we wear is Christ. And we fashion our lives after his by loving like him. And it's that posture of sacrifice, the readiness, the willingness, and even the joy in putting the needs of others ahead of ours that reflects this new love that Jesus is commanding. And while he brings this whole thing together with this, he says, by this, he's talking about the new command, by this love, everyone will know that you are my disciples. His friends have not yet comprehended what lies ahead of them. I mean, he's been there with them day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And it was easy to spot who they were when they were all together in the crowd with Jesus. Not so easy when they're just faces in the crowd without him. So how would people know that they were with Jesus, that they belonged to Jesus? How would they attract people to this life-giving message now that Jesus is no longer with them? Well, Jesus says they'll know and they'll come by seeing and experiencing how you love one another. It wasn't something he wanted hidden, quite the opposite. Just like people experienced with Jesus personally, He wanted the love of his followers to be so obvious and so attractive and so compelling that everyone who saw it would want it. Friends, make no mistake about it. Their world was a mess. They were living in a politically and religiously divided time in a country occupied by a foreign army and a foreign government. There was great unrest and rebellion all around them. There was conflict and war and famine. And their culture was diverse. It was deeply divided by race and class. So many problems. So many distractions. So many things to worry about. But Jesus knew that the antidote was an irresistible movement of love that was so countercultural that no one could resist it or would even want to. And over time, that's exactly what they created. Listen to how Luke describes the fellowship of these first century believers in Acts 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe to many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now that is a beautiful picture. That 
is attractive. They knew that anything that they did together was so that everything that they did outside was beautiful and attractive. And second century theologian Tertullian imagined pagans looking at Christians and saying this, look at how they love one another for they themselves, the pagans, hate one another and how they are ready to die for each other for they themselves are readier to kill each other. And Christian philosopher and theologian Francis Schaeffer asserts that we as Christians have a responsibility to live the gospel and in such a way that the dying and hurting world may see it and seek after it. He writes this, when what then shall we conclude but that as the Samaritan loved the wounded man, we as Christians are called upon to love all men as neighbors, loving them as ourselves. Second, that we are to love all true Christian brothers and sisters in a way that the world may observe. This means showing love to our brothers and sisters in the midst of our differences, great or small. Loving our brothers and sisters when it costs us something. Loving them even under times of tremendous emotional tension. Loving them in the way that the world can see. Only with this mark may the world know that Christians are indeed Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father. This new love became the marker of the people of love, the people of Jesus. And Jesus calls out to us today to lay down our lives, to manifest visible and tangible love, sacrificial love, so that the world will know that we belong to him and that belonging to him is life-giving and that they can belong to. The rest of our text today picks up in John 13, verses 36 to 38. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Well, I got a chuckle out of this cartoon that a friend sent me this past week. It says, during a lively game of pickup basketball, Peter denies Jesus three times. <laughs> Some humor to help soften this stinging rebuke. I mean, what can you say about Peter? Once again, he seemingly misses the big picture, the picture of God's glory and the whole new commandment thing because he got stuck back at the beginning of you can't come with me. And re remember from last week and the weeks before, just moments ago, right before dinner, Jesus was trying to give them this beautiful and loving example of humble servanthood by washing their feet. And Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. And when Jesus says, okay, then you'll have no part in me if I don't wash your feet, Peter says, well, okay, then wash my whole body. I mean, his blind loyalty and his devotion is endearing in some ways, but can't you just imagine what the others in the room are thinking? It's like, come on, man, just, just be here in the moment, will you? It's like, dude, just shut up for five minutes. I'm trying to hear what he's saying. And I would imagine that we all know someone like Peter, somebody that's different. But let's not forget that Jesus chose Peter because he was different. Like he chooses each of us 
warts and all. That is the way that Jesus lived and loved. Well, Jesus says to them, you can't come with me now, but you can follow me later in time. And that was so prophetically true. Every person in that room to hear those words did just that. In time, as the fullness of God's redemptive love became clear to them, to a man they sacrificed their lives. They laid down their lives for their friend, for their savior, for the truth that they learned from him and the life and the love that they experienced with him. Well, this rebuke from Jesus must have really hit Peter hard. Because in the next several chapters of his teaching, while we do hear from Thomas and Philip and the other Judas and the other disciples, we don't hear from Peter until he defends Jesus in the garden at his arrest. And Peter's denial of Jesus and his subsequent restoration with the risen Christ is a powerful lesson in friendship and forgiveness and love. And we will study that together in John chapter 21. But here's a spoiler alert. Ultimately, through his relationship with Jesus, his friend, his teacher, his mentor, and his savior, Peter is transformed from someone who denied even knowing Jesus into a fearless evangelist and the leader of the early church, ready to live and ready to love and ready to die for what he knew to be true. And that begs the question, why? Why would he do that? What changed him? Well, maybe you see this coming, but the answer is love. He experienced the encompassing love of God in Jesus. Peter embraced and he confessed his own failure, his own brokenness, his own embarrassing denial of Jesus and all of the other junk in his life, and he surrendered it to Jesus who replaced it with a power-filled living faith for which he gave everything, including his life. He finally understood what it was to be fully known and truly loved. They all did. They all witnessed the gospel firsthand, the same transformative gospel we understand and can experience today. But while we can see it in its fullness now, Peter and the others, they had to live it out piece by piece, bit by bit, over time in an unfolding story, culminating in Christ's sacrifice, his glorious resurrection, his astonishing return to heaven and the coming of the Holy Spirit to empower and unite his followers into a family, a church in which we gather today. That's the power of love. That's the power of being fully known and truly loved. And it's what changed them all from friends and followers into fearless and tireless lovers of people so that everyone could experience it as well. As I was reflecting over this past week, I was struck by how this new command sets the stage for Jesus' departure and the birth of his church. After his resurrection and just before he ascended into heaven, he gathered his friends and he commissioned them to go, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a big task. It's known as the Great Commission, and it's found at the end 
of Matthew's gospel in chapter 28. Again, as was his practice, he was sending them out. He sent them into the world so that they might bring others into his kingdom. But noticeably missing from this commission is any form of instruction on how to actually accomplish such an incredible undertaking. He didn't say, go and plead my case. Go beg people to join and become a Christian. He didn't say, just bring people to church and hand them over to Pastor Phil and he can give them a good talking to. He didn't say that. He doesn't give them rote formulas to recite to people, to try to convince them to be a part of it. He simply gave them this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He gave them a new kind of love and a love that would resonate with the heart of every person created in the image of God. Friends, I I just want you to hear this. And if you hear nothing else I say today, hear this. There is nothing new under the sun. And while very real, the things that we are experiencing in our world today, like disease and social unrest and bitter political fighting, just to name a few, they are no more divisive and painful and heartbreaking or worrisome than they were the day that Jesus gave his new command. And now, like then, the world is starving for love. It's the most powerful evangelistic tool, or should I say evangelistic force, that ever existed, love. It's the only thing that has ever changed a human heart, love. And it's why 72 generations and 2,000 years later, here we are together in the love of Christ, called like every generation before us to share it so that everyone will know what it feels like to be fully known and truly loved, to be free. If we want to live like Jesus, we simply have to love like Jesus. So in our remaining time, I want to get very practical on what loving like Jesus really looks like. And as we do that, let me encourage you with the words of Mother Teresa, because no sermon is finished without Mother Teresa. She said this, love is a fruit in season at all times and within reach of every hand. But she also said this, people are generally irrational, unreasonable, and selfish. They deserve to be loved anyway. And the great news is in Christ, loving others is not that hard, really. Watch this. Hi, my name is Natalie and my family and I live in love like Jesus in our neighborhood by writing encouraging notes on the sidewalks and passing out popsicles on hot days. Hi, my name is Patrick and I live in love like Jesus by financially supporting missionaries and just talking with friends about what God is doing through them and the momentum that he has in Hi, my name's Katie, and I live and love like Jesus by building relationships and sharing the gospel with dancers and strip clubs. My name is Deshae Johnson, and I live and love like Jesus by mentoring and sharing the gospel one haircut at a time. These are our fellow Crossroads 
family members just sharing some very practical ways that they live and love like Jesus, ways that you can also. And whether through your work or in your neighborhood or locally through a nonprofit organization or by preparing yourself and serving globally, these are all expressions of love. And you're going to see more of these short video vignettes in the days ahead to inspire and to encourage and to spur us all on to loving others as well. And here's a few that I'd, I'd like to share. I'm having a baby shower for my neighbor who is pregnant and unmarried and is in a difficult situation with her pregnancy. I've been taking a coworker who doesn't have transportation home from work every day. I teach an overcomer class at the Warwick County Jail. I prayed with our hospice team over our newest patient who's on parole for child molestation and he's done his time. He's dying and our team showed him mercy and God's grace. And I read through these very tangible expressions of love. I can't help but notice that the people loved represent the poor and the prisoner and the lonely and the rejected. People pushed to the margins of society, the marginalized around us. But yet they are precisely the people that Jesus would be loving. And these powerful Jesus-inspired stories of love were shared via a simple online tool, a web-based app that we created at Community One for that purpose. It's completely anonymous and it's accessible from any phone or mobile device with a web browser. And we launched this story sharing app last year with some other local churches whose members then shared thousands of acts of love with their fellow Christ followers and church leaders, including the ones I just read. Today we're making that tool available to the Crossroads Church family as well. And when you came in this morning at the Newburgh campus, you should have received a printed card with instructions on how to access and use that simple app to share stories of love. And if you're watching online or attending our West Campus, you can find instructions on the Crossroads website at cccgo.com resources. But whether it's by video or by app, your love stories are important. They give testimony to the work that God is doing in your life and through your life. What you share helps others to learn what it means to love like Jesus so they can do it too. And it lets your church leadership know of the tangible, loving impact that our church is having in the world today. So this morning I've shared some examples of practical ways that you can live and love like Jesus and some tools that you can use to share them, to glorify God and to encourage others. Additionally, to help you take a next step, our church is also offering opportunities to learn and to dive deeper into these ideas through some upcoming Learn With Leaders Zoom conversations that you can join. And topics include learn to share your faith, learn to connect with the marginalized, and learn to love your neighbors. Details are also available on the website. Let me close, though, with this today. Living and loving like Jesus is not natural. It's supernatural. It's not something that we can just conjure up internally. It's the fruit of the free gift of a loving God who withholds nothing, not even his own son, to be united with you in his love. And if you have never 
experience that and you want to explore what it means to be fully known and truly loved by God, then reach out to our pastoral staff here at Crossroads or online and have that conversation even yet today. If you do know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then it's time for us to take our attention off the noise and the distractions of the world, to pause and take a breath, to shut off the news, to push away from the computer, to unclench our fists, to release our need to be right and open our eyes and our hearts to the people around us. It's not, it's not enough to just want to do something. And there's enough harshness in the world today and the answer is not just to keep shouting louder or more loudly. Instead, we need to try something revolutionary together. Let's unleash the powerful gift that Jesus said and showed would bring people into his forever family. Let's follow Jesus in loving one another and others the way that he has loved us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us this new command and thank you for showing us how to live and love like you. Lord, we want to be reminded that anything that we do here when we gather is, is so that everything else we do out there is an expression of love that is attractive to others so that they too can experience your love. Lord, we pray for the power and the courage to be people of this new love. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.